Welcome. You're here at the Deep End, a podcast from DigitalOcean. We're here today with me, Mauricio, and Lucas from the Edge team, the team that's responsible for making sure that all the stuff that you send through our API and our cloud product reaches their destination stuff on the back end. So how are you, go- how are you doing, Lucas? Hello, guys. Uh, my name is Lucas Fontes. Um, I'm a software engineer here at DigitalOcean. I've been around... Uh, I've been here at DigitalOcean for about two months now uh, at the Edge team, working together with Mauricio. Yeah, and glad to have that, glad for you to have me here. So, Lucas, what is it that this team called Edge is doing at DigitalOcean? So, it's pretty much everything that lives at the Edge. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, but, like, this is pretty much the, the most simple explanation. But if we start thinking about uh, performance at the Edge, there are many things that happened before before your request actually gets to servers on, on our side. And that might involve DNS, that might involve a few load balancers. And those operations, they, they're not only complicated, but they also introduce latency to your request. So the more efficient that we can be at the edge, the better that we can, we can make your, your user experience as a customer. So for the team itself, it's not actually working directly to customers, right? That's correct, yes. So there is, like, the people that are calling um, the DigitalOcean API, which is something that's owned by Edge. So if you're making a call and you're creating droplets over the API, you're going through our service to do the work. And the look and feel of the API is something that, that's respons- that's the responsibility of the Edge team as well. And we want to make sure that the, the experience that people have when they're using tools to do this kind of stuff, when, they autom- when they're automating their work to call stuff on DigitalOcean, is as good as possible. But as Edge, we're also serving the internal teams at DigitalOcean, right? So what, what kind of stuff are we doing for... Yeah, that, that's right. The, the idea is that we provide services for people to register their services in a way that we can route requests to the proper location. And we can also enhance requests by uh, providing tracing, by providing uh, rate limiting and other services, oh, guaranteeing authentication. Shooting is really important in this. <laughs> <laughs> we really don't want you to see droplets from other people. That would be pretty bad. So that that this is the type of fee of logic that we can enforce at the edge and people don't need to re-implement that on every single new service that they write. Okay, so with this we get to the buzzword of the moment. Like we're is this microservices? Is this microservices? Uh, it's I think uh, good sized services. <laughs> uh, I, I can't recall if it was Tender Love that he was he was trying to coin like this adequate services. Oh adequate uh, services. Yeah that works. And, and the idea is, is not that we're going to just break things up into very minimal like pieces just for the sake of it. Uh, we first decide where the boundaries are. And to do that, it kind of starts with a monolith to some extent. It's easier if you have a monolith to start seeing the seams and, and break it up instead of starting as with microservices where it just introduces a lot of... A, a lot of uh, friction to the development process in the beginning. So that's pretty much at least my view in this point. So in in the case of, of Edge, of the way we're building stuff, we do not provide libraries. We do the work and we send it downstream to the downstream services as contact information. So what would be the difference between doing this as a library and doing the way we're doing right now? 
what, why, is there an advantage of doing the way we're doing? So the, the way that we are doing, you don't need to change your application in order to integrate with us. So we are using protocols that are already well-known and standards, and we make sure that this information only lives within our network. So, for example, if, if you send a request for, with a specific user ID, at, at Edge side, we detect which user ID you are, and we send this information down as part of the HTTP request. Now, when the server on the other side responds, that information is not being transmitted back to the user, so we have ways to prevent this information from leaking back to, back to real customers. And this is really important because we can use this communication to pass any type of information and also to keep, to keep timing information within many, many services. If we have just one hop, that's, let's say we have the customer, a load balancer, and then a service, this is a very simple scenario where you can time things fairly easy. As we start adding more and more services, keeping this context uh, to like three, four service, uh, services hops after the load balancer, then it starts becoming interesting. Okay, so in, in this case, like given we have this centralized um, way of routing stuff, we also get kind of better visibility, right, around all of this. So what else do we offer for people that are like behind us? Yeah, and we get a lot of things for free once we start. And, and this is starting to sound like a sales pitch. For, <laughs> for, for our gateway. So it, things for free. So let's say you bring it up a new service and you just bring it up an HTTP ser- uh, server and that's it. You're not doing any logging. You're not doing anything. You're just going, grabbing the standard Go HTTP server and 10 lines of code, you have an HTTP server. If you put that behind our Edge Gateway today, you get logging, you get tracing information, you get authentication if you wanted to, uh, you get graphs, metrics. So there's way more that we are offering other than just, well, we sit in front of services. And this information can be enhanced as you start growing your 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 service. So initially, you're trying to do a prototype, and you're just trying to see if if you have if we need a new service, and not having to do those things in order to have a, a decent prototype is, is really interesting. So it enhances velocity in that sense. Yeah. So you're working on one of, a new feature that's going to show up. On, on this part of the application. So wh- wh- what is it about rate limiting? What's rate limiting and what, why, do, why should people care about it? Yeah, the, the first thing that comes to mind when we talk about rate limiting is that we're going to start blocking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's just start blocking everybody. Uh, in reality, rate limiting is about guaranteeing quality of service. Uh, and again, I'm sounding like a sales guy, but let's do this. <laughs> The, the whole idea with rate limiting that, that I find interesting is that not all requests are equal. So we are re- when sending a request, let's say, to create a new droplet, that might take longer than a request to just list the droplets that you have. And a request to list droplets might take longer for somebody that has 100 droplets, 100 droplets versus a request for somebody that only has two droplets. So not all requests are created equal or served equal. Uh, equally, the, the the point here is that things that you do as a customer should not impact our other customers. And there are two ways to to solve that. One is making sure that we have capacity on our side, and the other way is making sure that everybody is playing nice in the sandbox. And one way of enforcing that is through rate limiting. 
So the idea, the idea that we have is we're not going to rate limit people just for the sake of enforcing, enforcing uh, granular uh, limits. The, the idea is that we want everybody to receive good service. So all our rate limits are really way above what you would expect. There's nothing crazy like if you send two requests a second, we're going to block you. It is more around your API limits, about the services uh, that we have and how overloaded they are, how much traffic they can support, and making sure that we're keeping them up and being able to serve everybody. Yeah, so the final goal is just to make sure that every single customer gets his fair share of time on the machines and they can do the work and they're going to get fast responses back from us, right? Yeah, that's correct. And enforcing this at, a, at our scale, it, it does have a few challenges. So when we're talking about rate limiting and most of the rate limiting implementations that you see today, they either going to have a, an, an HA proxy, a, a, an Nginx, and in there you configure rate limiting and that's, that works really well. And the problem becomes when you have multiple load balancers. So if you're trying to enforce a limit, let's say uh, 100 requests per, per minute per customer, and you're doing that with a single Nginx, that's completely fine. Once you have two load balancers, then the same configuration you had at that point, it, you cannot use the same thing because now it becomes 100 times two. So depending on where on which load balancer the user lands, he, he gets a different limit. In, in our case, it's also a bit more interesting because we not only enforce this limit, but we also report the current state of this limit back to the customer. So as you're sending requests, if you're sending 100 requests and now you have uh, allowance of 99 requests because we, we, we took one out of that allowance, we tell you back, hey, you have now 99 uh, request in your quota, and your quota is going to replenish in 15 minutes, in 20 minutes, something like that. So this information is sent back to users so they can act, also adapt and know what's going on and know what, why we are enforcing these limits on them. So a customer that's making a call is not just going to get like a rate limit error back. They can actually understand if they're going to get the error and they can just like get their systems to wait a little bit longer and then make the request instead of just like blindingly trying to make calls and then just, oh, there's an error in here. And I did it. They did not know that this error was going to happen. Yeah, it's pretty much a least surprise. We were telling you way ahead that if you continue hammering the system like you're doing in three, four requests, now it's the time you're going to get you're going to get the band hammer. Um, <laughs> and, and, and even during that, we, we have ways to, to make sure that we're not being too aggressive. So there, there are things that are in a fixed window where we do, as you send your first request, that's when your window starts. So let's say we're talking about 10-minute windows. If I send a request at uh, zero, zero, at minute one, midnight one, that's when my window starts. If you send at midnight five, that's when your window starts, and you have ten minutes, meaning and midnight fifteen is your your window ends, and midnight eleven my window ends. So that's pretty much the way that we split things up. So it's not wall clock. It's not like every uh, midnight, midnight fifteen, and thirty. So this this is one way that that we guarantee. That we guarantee that on our side, things are not getting overloaded. It's just so we don't treat everybody as a time series database type of thing that everything is aligned to wall clock. 
And I find this interesting because the other model that we have that doesn't use a, a, a time window is more based on giving each request a TTL. So every time you send one request, that request will stay in our system for a certain amount of time. And in this case, your allowance is based on the number of requests that we have been tracked uh, on, on our systems. So in this, in this scenario, let's say you have allowance of 10 requests and you send one request right now. If you send another one in two minutes, now you depleted your, your quota by two. Once you get to minute nine, or actually when you, once you get to minute 10, the very first request gets out of the pool and you get replenished by one. So then we're pretty much incrementing your, your quota at the same speed that you consumed that quota versus on the fixed window that we replenished everything at once. Okay, so imagine our customers are having an issue on their own service. So they have, they're having clients that are making too many requests, are causing a lot of load in their servers, and while they could just add more servers to serve like the, the, the traffic that they're getting, they're starting to look at maybe people should not making this many requests. How would you recommend them to build a rate-limiting solution for their system running on DigitalOcean? That's a good question. They can take a look at solutions that are out there. So they, the easiest way to do it today, if, if you write an application, is to do that at the application level. There are many libraries out there that, that allow you to do that. Uh, it's a bit different than our setup because we are enforcing that as part of the infrastructure. But doing that, you need to be at a certain size to start understanding the, the challenges in doing it. If you're just getting started and getting a, a use case, you, you go in with Rails, there are many gems that allow you to do it, and they can even sync that information through Redis or some other mechanism, uh, Rails, uh, sorry, MySQL. And those will work really well. It, it, it gets to a point that it becomes a problem, but I, I like to say that once you start having scaling issues, those are the ones that are nice to fix because it means that you're growing. And <laughs> It, once you have to replace them, it means that, well, by that time, you're making money and everything is good. So you're like, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to change it. You have a smile on your face because it's like everything is good. Yeah, because you're getting some extra money for all of this requests that are serving yeah. and all of this stuff. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, so... To, in, in, to help simplify some of this, we actually have a new product that, that was launched just a, a, a couple of months ago. We have the load balancers. Like, Do they help in a way on this? Yes. So the product that, that we, we launched recently called Load Balancers, and they offer, they go beyond your regular load balancer setup, that cookie cutter that you just go download a software, put in a, on a box, and that's it. The, and, and I think that this is actually very important to, to make a distinction. Being high available it, and doing load balancing, those are two different things. And our load balancer product, it's not only a load balancer, but it's also highly available. This means that doesn't matter if, if your current load balancer is going down, we're going to bring another one up, keep the same IP address, meaning you don't need to change anything on DNS side or anything on your application to, in, in case the load balancer goes down. So we take care of configuring it. We take care of all this networking, this networking addressing that needs to, to happen. And we also do all the health checks, providing you with metrics and everything that is really nice. 
The other bit that we take care of, take care for you is the SSL termination. So when, when dealing with multiple servers, once you start scaling your, your, your architecture, you don't want to be terminating SSL on every single server that you have because that's an expensive operation. You want those, those very expensive CPU cycles to be, <laughs> to be consumed by something a bit more interesting than terminating SSL. And, and the load balancer is already seeing that traffic. So at that point, we, we change the roles a bit and we put SSL termination at the load balancer, which is, by the way, exactly what we do in our load balancer product. We shift that role to the load balancer and the communication between the load balancer and in your application, it travels over the, the private network. Oh, that's that's really cool. So we do a lot of work for our customers. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's that's nice. So it's give it a try. Like, if you want to scale, you can definitely try the load balancers. So I know you're an avid Overwatch player. Oh, boy. And there is a new character on Overwatch. I haven't seen her yet. So and I'm a bit torn here. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not sure if everybody knows, but it's been five. Uh, Dio has been around for five years, and we actually had the Dio party. Yeah, just a couple week. days yes, ago. Just a couple days ago, and this new character on Overwatch called Orisa, she has been introduced this Tuesday, and I've been here in New York for the entire week. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, so, like, so you haven't had a chance to actually like, play with the new character. Exactly. So uh, I run a Mac and I try to do a boot with Windows. To, to play it, but st- brought my mouse here just to see if I could get a few <laughs> hours of, of play time. But, so you have uh, a special mouse to play Overwatch? Yes. Okay. Uh, I have a special setup, computer, monitor, everything separate just to play. Uh, oh my god. It, and and, and I, I'm just playing Overwatch on my PS4, so if you're playing Overwatch on your console, like don't worry about it. We, we, we're not going to give you fun deluxe. Like, I'm really happy with my PS4 and Overwatch. I'm really happy when I PC you in Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, g- game has been has been something that has been with in my life for a really long time. Uh, uh, I've been saying that I use Overwatch to recover from a C- uh, Counter Strike addiction. <laughs> so, so you're just changing one addiction for another. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I found I found myself one day looking up on on Google. Uh, what is the what are the problems with uh, gaming? If you're playing too many games, is this bad or good for you? And there was pretty much like two three articles saying that these games actually enhance your cognitive uh, ability and things like that. And a few saying that is you're wasting too much time. <laughs> Once you get past a certain age, you shouldn't be playing games. But <laughs> I like that. What I found interesting is that. I saw two saying good things and one saying bad things, and I was like, my, my, my head went straight into gaming mode saying, I like those odds. <laughs> so, <laughs> so two to one, exactly. it's good. So it's still, it's still doing it. <laughs> There's another thing that's also interesting about the Edge team. It's the Edge team's the most metal team of them all at Digital Ocean. That's we have right. ha- half of our team listens to Heavy Metal and we actually have like our bosses from Finland, like the home of Heavy Metal. So if you if what, what kind of music you listen to? You 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 join Metal the, the first day on your first day on the job, like you were there at the Metal Channel. So is this the kind of music you listen to? Uh, no, I'm more into like the Beatles type of music. Okay. It's funny because uh, I think I was invited to the metal channel before I was invited to my actual team's channel. <laughs> and 
and, I, and I've been learning a lot uh, in, in that channel. Uh, recently, I've been listening a lot to uh, Mick Gordon, which is not he did soundtrack for Doom. He did the soundtrack for, uh, for a, f a few songs for Killer Instinct as well. And I've been listening to this Killer Instinct album like on... Yeah, on the Killer Instinct soundtrack is just unbelievable. And it, it's interesting as well because most of the songs are just repetition. It's the same pattern but doing it in different ways. Yeah. Like some with a flute, some with like really hardcore. Some people just singing in the background going weird. And <laughs> <laughs> but still, it, at least it, it helps me and... Uh, to get a bit more focused and I like to, to listen to more things that don't have vocals so so it doesn't get me out of my zone when I'm programming other than that I've been, I've been listening a lot recently is uh, Cell Dweller uh, Blue Stally so it that's pretty much the type of music that I like and <laughs> that's cool that's that's really cool so here we're ending the deep end the podcast from Digital Ocean, and we'll see you soon with another episode. Bye, everyone. <laughs>